Well, hey, welcome back to the show. Patrick Podcast here. Patrick Chappelle, your host, your guy, your homie. I don't know where you listen to the podcast. I've said this a few times in the past, but wherever you're listening, I'm glad you're listening. So whether you're driving to work or coming home from work or you're just on uh, just a, a nice fun drive. Do people fun drive? Is that been? I guess that's a COVID-friendly activity. Fun drive. Yeah, I do that. Just driving around. You know, that that's always fun. So, what, however you listen, maybe you're cleaning the house, making uh, some food, whatever it is. I'm glad you're listening. Welcome back. I am so excited for today. We have got a wonderful, I would say, wonderful show, and it's the first kind of interview in 2021. You know, we had the hot take episode with john michael elder and i and then last week benjamin and i did kind of a year in review and just also some some other some other hot takes <laughs> and now we're back to four we couldn't resist no we, we couldn't, couldn't resist. resist couldn't resist we could not resist so now we're back and now we're going to hear from russell pointer uh, this is a fascinating guy. He is a um, church planter. He is uh, just, this has such a wonderful story. And I think you're going to really enjoy hearing all about his uh, background and what he's, what he's up to and what he's kind of moving towards. And, you know, and, and what I love about uh, this um, podcast that we've kind of put together is that there's going to be folks on here that some of you know and know well, some of you are unaware of, and that's exciting. But I hope that you like continue to like trust us and dive into these shows because we really are trying to craft together some fascinating conversations with some very uh, interesting folks. So Russ is going to, we're going to have a great conversation. You're going to really love that. And uh, I, I know that you will uh, you will have many comments to share post our conversation. Um, you can follow him on social media at Russell Pointer Jr. on the IG. And speaking of the IG, make sure that you're following the Patrick Podcast on the IG at the Patrick Podcast. That's the handler. And then also, you can follow me personally on the IG or Twitter at Patrick Chappelle. That's C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L. And you can follow Benjamin at Benjamin R-R underscore. <laughs> and that's a good follow, too, because Benjamin's putting out stuff all the time. He's always sharing some different things he's producing and working on. And we just love to show our folks some love. Um, also, things I wanted to make mention of is, hey, um, we are at like 98 ratings on the podcasting um iTunes page. Let's get a couple more like five stars, couple more ratings out there so we can get over a hundred. That would be awesome. And don't forget, people, we're trying to start doing some listener letters. So email me at the Patrick Podcast at gmail.com. The Patrick Podcast at gmail.com with your questions or uh, you know things you maybe want to get my opinion about, whatever it is, we, we want to start doing some listener letters. I think they could be a lot of fun. So 
start sending those emails or you can send me a direct message on instagram whether it's at the patrick podcast or at my personal ig account i would love to uh introduce you and we could even do anonymous like you don't we i'll make up a new name if you don't want the your name to be out there in the in the uh whatever we call this the the podcasting verse out here in the world but yeah so send us those letters that'd be awesome but yeah um other than that let's see what else i don't know i was gonna say uh here's a couple things i've been thinking about and i'll just say this and then i want to hear what's happening with benjamin first off look everyone some of y'all out there are getting look here's here's the here's what i'll say we are pro i am pro i'll just say for i'll speak for patrick patrick is pro people getting shots the shots meaning the covid vaccination shots so like i'm all for shots now look everyone has different reasons or different ways in which they're getting on lists to get shots and that kind of thing i'm just pro people getting shots I'm pro people getting shots. And I know that we want to like make sure that our most vulnerable people get shots. I am all about that. Uh, but I'm also all about us not wasting these shots because these are really precious things right now. And we need to get them in the arms so that mainly selfish reason I can get back to going to music festivals. So <laughs> I need for y'all to get these shots <laughs> so I can get back to concerts. <laughs> It's all about me. It's just about Hallelujah. me. I just want to get back to like concerts and music festivals and going to the movies. So I'm all about getting shots. Now, some of you don't want shots and that's okay. That's totally fine. That's your business. But for those of you that want to get shots, keep it up. Keep going. Also, keep wearing that mask, people, and keep drinking that water and keep getting that vitamin D when you can. And look, we're almost done with the thing, I think. We're almost there. We're so close to the finish line. People, let's just hang in there. Because some of y'all, if you live in Nashville, Tennessee, and if you were one of the people on Broadway last night, what in the world? What were you doing? Come on. I saw some photos. I'm like, y'all were wildin'. Y'all were too wildin'. We're going to blame it. We'll say it was outskirt, Nashville outskirt people, but I know that's not true. Some of y'all need to stay in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you're going to go out, just be responsible-ish. Like, Broadway is not. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Um, what else do I want to say before we hear from Ben? Oh, also, can we please stop with the spoilers on the Twitter? Can we stop? Can we stop with that? Like, I get it. You watch the show. You watch it on time. You're so good. <laughs> you're, you're great. You're, you are on top of it. You know, that's awesome. I don't need your take on the season finale of fill in the blank. I just let yeah, it live. live tweeting is like so eight years ago. Yeah. That's so eight years ago. Like, why are you still, you have nothing. Just be like the rest of us, pull quotes from the internet and post them on your Twitter. Like do that. Like, like if you have nothing else, to <laughs> spoilers are for Reddit. Yeah. Go, yeah, go, go to Reddit. Reddit. Get Take off that Twitter, to Reddit. Yeah. Go to Reddit. Yeah. Go to Reddit. Yeah. We, we have a space. It's called Reddit. Go and do that. Okay. That's what, that's all. No, no, no spoilers. I'm, and granted, I know maybe I should be on top of my game, but I'm not, I'm, I'm out here in these streets trying to talk to folks with my mask on. So like, you know, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Sometimes I'm going to get to see the shows, but yeah. So let's, let's chill out with the spoilers. Also, also folks, I can't, I know some of you are going to be like, this is not 
a good thing to suggest to us. Why are you doing this? But I, I love, I love a TikTok. I love it. I'm going to have to take a fast from TikTok. I'm pretty sure. It's too, I'm too much on the TikTok. No, I'm, I'm, I'm totally okay with it because you and I have had quite an exchange going <laughs> lately, sending each other TikToks, and I am all for it. It's so, it's just so, it's become a thing to where I'm waking up early, not to be productive, but just so I can have some TikTok time before I get, before I get up and going in the oh. day. TikTok time for me is when I'm like sitting on the on on the toilet. Like oh, that's time. dangerous! You makes me stuck oh. on the toilet for a while. No, but it, you know, in a way, it helps you make sure that you've done everything you need to do. All right, yeah, that's good. And so I don't know. I don't know if you're into TikTok. You may not be, or Instagram Reels, which are not great. No one wants that. Uh, but TikTok is. I am fine for it. But I'm also fine for you. Those of you who know yourself, it's like. I can't do that. I don't need to be about that. So we'll just continue to send you the random TikToks via text and you'll be fine. And also people, I don't know what your life is like, but if you're not, if you, if you haven't had a break, a, a break, a, I guess, break and bake cookie in a long time. Woo. <laughs> Look, it's, where did that come from? <laughs> this is, this is me. This is me. <laughs> Don't don't we have a show to get on to? No, like, we do. Sorry. Look, I'm getting to the show. Look, I just wanted to mention that. Bake and break cookies are so good. And it's 12 minutes and you're in paradise. 12 minutes, paradise. That's all I'm saying. That's it. That's all. And also, call your people this week. That's all. Just random. Ben! What's up? <laughs> Oh, Patrick, I've started biking. Are you going to wear one, one of those guys that wear those bike pants in coffee shops? Uh, <laughs> no, no. Uh, but I do have a pair of bike pants because my parents gave it to me for Christmas. I haven't worn them yet. They're a little scary to me. They've got pads in them and it looks, yeah. it looks invasive. But I, I, got, a, <laughs> I, I got a bike. It, it's a great bike. I'm, I'm very happy with it. And um, it, now that it's finally warming up, I've been taking it out a few times and I'm really out of shape, but I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be doing it. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. Well, you're, what you do, it's, it's a very much sit, sit down kind of a job. So I can see that like, man, uh, you haven't got to. No, <laughs> no, no. It doesn't feel like you're just sitting down. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Like what you're, but when that's you're... probably cause I'm out of shape. Well, no, because you're producing. That's what I'm saying. Like the work that you're doing is a lot what? of like sitting in a room, like sitting in a room. Oh, That's oh, what I'm saying. Oh. Yeah. It's you're, a good activity. Yes. For it's the, a good oh. activity for you. Gotcha. Biking. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, yeah, I can see where you've like, you. I can see the potential slacking off because you spend so much time like sitting and in a room and right. It's working the only on, like, right. dose of sunlight that I'm getting. Yes. Day. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Absolutely. So congrats. Yeah. Congrats on oh, the bikes. Thanks. Yeah. It's fun. Okay. We've. We've done so much intro. I'm so sorry, folks. Let me get you to the show. <laughs> this is a great interview. Russ is awesome. I can't wait for you to hear him. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. And we will see you next time.
All right. Here we are. What's up? What's going on, Pat? We're here. We did it. We're here. (laughs) (laughs) We have been trying to have this interview for a little bit now. Yeah. So um, for those that don't know, who haven't like just saw, they saw the photo of us advertising this episode and they're like, oh, Russ, I know who that is. Tell the folks who you are and yeah, just this. Just kind of give us give us a little preview, just kind of overview of who you are, okay. so the people who are listening in for the first time. Okay, thanks, man. Well, I, man, I'm I'm glad to be able to sit down with you and, and record this podcast. Yes, uh, I'm looking forward to the questions. This is probably the, my least favorite part, but I know some people uh, <laughs> need to need to know some context. So, uh, my name is Russell Andrew Pointer Jr. Uh, I'm originally from the Gallatin area. Um, so I was Ooh. a proud alum of Gallatin High, Gallatin High School basketball, still bleed green and gold. Uh, from there, I went to Morehouse College, graduate of Morehouse, uh, University of Tennessee, Knoxville, Vanderbilt, currently yep. a doctoral student at Boston University School of Theology uh, in the DMAN program there, uh, looking at the intersection between spirituality, financial literacy, and holistic care. Uh, I am the pastor lead servant at Reformation Church Nashville, church plant. We launched September 1st, 2019. Um, By the grace of God, we've been able to grow and find sustainability even in the pandemic. And so I'm thankful for that. I like to say we're headquartered in Nashville. We have about nine states present on our roster um, after year one. And so we're growing, uh, continue to do more good work. And so I'm I'm glad to know good, good, uh, like-minded people uh, doing the same stuff in the kingdom. So I'm glad to be here. Wow. Yeah, that there, there is so much that as someone who's probably listening now, it's like, wow, there's a lot of questions that I want (laughs) answers to. And we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Um, So, yeah, that's right. So Gallatin, from Gallatin to Morehouse, back to Tennessee, Mm -hmm. now to Boston, but still doing work in middle Tennessee. Yeah. So what, you know, for those who don't know, like Gallatin is like a, I mean, what would we consider Gallatin? Like it's like a... I don't want to say it's a suburb of Nashville, but it's like a. It's it, misleading. It's, but it's, it's, it's misleading. Kind of it's like a. <laughs> it's like a suburb of Nashville, but it's a city. It's its own yeah. city. It's its own like area. It's its own vibe. So, yeah. what, what you kind of just give us a, a picture of like what was it like growing up in Gallatin, especially for those that maybe find themselves here in t- Nashville now. Yeah. They probably have heard maybe mentioned Gallatin, Tennessee, but don't know much about Gallatin. But from your perspective, what was life? like growing up yeah. in Gallatin, Tennessee. Yeah, Gallatin is about 20, 25 miles north of Nashville right? Uh, in Sumner County going up 386. So go past uh, Madison, Goodlessville, you're running to Hendersonville, and then eventually Gallatin. I say I grew up in Gallatin before it was all Nashville in the Nashville metro area. <laughs> uh, I grew up in Gallatin before there was a Vietnam Veterans Boulevard. <laughs> When it was very difficult to come up 109 to find your way to Nashville. And there's always an accident there and still seems Mm -hmm, to be to this mm -hmm. day. Um, And so they were very separate places. Uh, Man, Gallatin was amazing. It's definitely a a small field, a a family town. Everybody kind of knows each other, which was good. Uh, Provided safety for our family. I actually moved. I was born in Indianapolis, moved to Gallatin because my dad accepted a ministerial position at West Eastland Church of Christ. So I moved here when I was three weeks old. 
Um, wow. And my birth was actually early. So fun fact, my birth was actually centered around a church calendar. Um, so that's the <laughs> ghostly joke of the day. Um, and I promise God I said the rest of my life and my death will not be centered around the church calendar like my birth was. And so that was how we came to wow. Gallatin. Um, and I was I was an athlete, so that was kind of its own culture within that, and and it was it was great. I mean, I didn't learn about a lot of what separated people until I got older in high school. Right. Uh, my vivid memories are you know church camp and uh, being at church twice. You know that was when you had to go Sunday morning, evening, yeah. Wednesday, or, or you was going to hell. That's right. Um, easily, and, <laughs> easily. <laughs> and so that was that was kind of it. Very small town, small feel, family feel, but it was it was amazing. Actually, one some award recently for like one of the nicest towns. I don't know who oh, voted for it. That. But, yeah. Yeah. Who uh, knows? <laughs> I always is like people get those awards and they, and they placed and placed them all over the city. You're like, who, who said this about yeah. who, who was the voters? Cause some of y'all are not that. Whatever yeah, Facebook that is. Facebook is actually building, uh, building something in Galton. I think a water oh, yeah, is supposed that's to be right, coming. That's right. That's right. So Galton's coming on the map. If it's not yet, if you can't afford to live in Nashville, uh, look at Murfreesboro, look at Clarksville, look at Antioch, but look at Gallatin because it's, it's on the move. Yeah, we did. What we didn't say is don't look at Laverne. Don't go live in Laverne. <laughs> Ain't nobody trying to live in Laverne. Sorry, Laverne folks. I know I took shots at you. That's okay. Send the letters in. That's okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's interesting because growing up in church world, you know, like you're uh, this pastor's, you're a pastor's kid. And so for a lot of folks who grow up in the church world, you know, world like that where they're one of their parents or both their parents are pastors or, or are very involved in the church, you know, it's either like feast or famine. Either they're going to be very committed to the church and to doing church work themselves, or they run the exact opposite, you know, because it's like I, I saw behind the curtain and I saw what it did to my family and, and in my relationships and all of that. So uh, for you, 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 you are still in, you're still in this thing. You're still in the stream. So what, why do you think that that is for you? Like what, was there a moment where you're like, okay, this is a deciding moment where I, either I'm going to stay pretty committed to this thing or I'm going to go into this other path or, yeah. 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 I was, uh, I still identify as probably one of the things I do best is I am a really good critic. Yeah. Um, and that's what I was for church. Uh, church for me, I hate it growing up. Sure. Absolutely hated church. Yeah. Um, my grandfather said on his deathbed that church is what killed him. Mm. Right. So there's some context. Mm -hmm. My dad planted a church in Nashville, which his last wish on earth would have been for me to have planted a church in Nashville. Um, And I saw him struggle and just with different things. And he ended up with high blood pressure and diabetes, cancer, stroke. Uh, I mean, just the entire kitchen sink that's very prevalent among pastors, uh, black pastors in particular, I know, but it seems pastors in general. Um, and so I didn't want anything to do with church. Um, but what's interesting is looking back at my childhood, I always had two very distinct passions. One was sports. So I was always the one organizing sports in the backyard. I was that kid. Um, yeah. We played baseball in it in its season. We played basketball in its season. And we played football in its season. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. And so on that, that was one hand. And on the other hand, as much as I hated church, I still had to sit with the reality that like I was preaching from my aunt's romance books from a high chair from like the age of two or three and like giving out communion with crackers and juice like before I was even conscious of what I was doing. Right. And so I've I've had these like this duality living within me my entire life because I did not like church. And I don't say that lightly, but like I really just nothing about it seemed to be valuable to me because I was such a critic. Because I didn't like church, I went the route of sports. And so I went Mm -hmm. from uh, Morehouse to UT. 
uh, and I got a master's in sport management. And I was able to work with the Tennessee Fund in fundraising and development for UT, of course, the top three, top five fine, uh, fundraising uh, athletic program and one of the few profitable universities in sports. Right. Um, that was a great experience. But Teams I knew- aren't so good, but they're profitable. And- <laughs> <laughs> There's another shot. Sorry, Tennessee fans. Sorry about it. Come at me it's in the mentions. Raise good money. We're in hopes of a better team. <laughs> yeah, but that's all you got is in hopes. <laughs> And, you know, I was there actually during the whole, um, during like one of the biggest fiascos in, in school history when the athletic director and oh, yeah. head coach before uh, Pruitt came in. And, uh, man, people were calling in ready for refunds and all of that. It was it was bad. But as grateful as I am for that time because it was very formative, sure. I knew very quickly that that wasn't the place for me. Right. Uh, sports wasn't the place for me, not competitively because – uh, I enjoyed sports when it was innocent. When it becomes competitive, it becomes a little less innocent. Uh, I didn't really like where I saw black people and didn't see black people in the system in mm-hmm. terms of athletes and administration. That's right. Uh, a lot of microaggressions of like prejudice and racism as it related to the donors. Mm. I mean, people calling in like, is this Tennessee State or the University of Tennessee? No um, way. Yeah, I mean, they walk up to me, hit me on the shoulder, like, you look probably big enough to be on the field tonight. Wow. And I'm like, you know, I know I was in the gym, but I don't think oh, I look no, like all uh, all that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was a lot that just made Knoxville hard to deal with, but it was a good hands-on experience in sport. Yeah. And so I knew that wasn't the route to go. And so So wait, so wait, before before we go there, like how how was that transition from you go from Morehouse? Historically black college, mm-hmm. which is like blackity black black. Like we know we it's just it's just rich with black culture, rich with black community and and black excellence and all of this to like to where you're dealing with these conversations. Yeah. It like, was terrible. <laughs> Uh, it was <laughs> you get a kick out of this. It was it was in Knoxville where I began preaching sermons about captivity. I'm just like, <laughs> I know what Jeremiah felt. I know what the Israelites felt when Jeremiah was right, like, no, this right. is gonna last 70 years. Like, <laughs> I need this time to end. Uh, I wow, went back to Atlanta. Yeah. Thankfully, it wasn't too far away. I was still very active on campus uh, because I would just go back and I needed to be around a culture that I recognized. Right. Uh, they came and recruited Morehouse students to UT, and I was the first Morehouse student to go to the University of Tennessee. Okay. Uh, and so I heard, oh, it's going to be a culture shock. It's yeah. another thing to live a culture shock. Yeah, that's right. Um, and this isn't even the stereotype, and I'm just like, where are my fried chicken spots at? Right. Like, I had several of them in Atlanta. I don't have any in Knoxville. No. Um, but there's, you know, we listen to R&B in, in the restaurant in Atlanta, and now I'm listening to Rocky Top Rocky Tennessee. Rocky Top 24-7, yeah. <laughs> so it oh, was, man. I mean, it was different, um, and I'm thankful for it, and, and it was a lot of good people there but culturally it was it was difficult um and then my experience in sport which is where I thought I wanted to be I just felt trapped uh so it was and during that time I didn't really have a church home for real because it just wasn't a good fit Mm -hmm. and so uh my dad was actually is the pastor in Minneapolis and he was like well I'll tell you what I don't want you to leave church which he was fearful of so he said why don't we fly you up here on the weekends and you can help be our assistant minister wow and so uh my stepmom ended up getting a job at Delta just to show you kind of how things divinely line up and so for my first year or so eventually they paid the tax or whatever it was but I actually was able to fly back and forth for free um, so what was that like? Like, you know, being in, you know, during the week in Knoxville, then what, what was it Friday or yeah. you would get on a plane and yeah. go on up to you know, yeah. Minneapolis? And yeah, I was, I was located in Knoxville, hard in Atlanta and ministry was in <laughs> Minneapolis. Um, which was, is equally another kind of culture shift in and of itself. The first blue state I ever lived in. Right. 
really interesting. Like as blue as a blue state could possibly be, almost <laughs> right. Like it's it's so radically different. Yeah, yeah. no Bible Belt. I mean, it was yeah, it was it was different. Um, and so I was at, at UT. I was uh, uh, I taught PE classes, mm-hmm. and so that was how I paid for my education. I worked in the athletic department. I was a student, and then I also would travel um, and work with Minneapolis on the weekends. So I had my hands full um, wow. to avoid the feeling of being lonely in Knoxville. I just yeah. did a lot of work, yeah. but it, it paid off eventually. So, so before we get, I know where I want to, I know where I want to take us next. But before we get too far down the the road here and getting us kind of up to date of where where you're at now. Take me back to you're 18 years old mm-hmm. and you're deciding on where to go to college. Was it was it always clear to you that you were going to go to um, a historically black college? Was that clear? Was that like always going to be the case? Like Morehouse, like here I come? Or were you thinking like, well, maybe I go to MTSU or maybe I'll yeah. go to a Christian school in Tennessee somewhere? Or like what yeah. was, yeah, how was, I mean, what was that decision making journey like for you? Yeah, so I was uh, graduated top five percent of my class. Mm-hmm. Um, I was both a student and a scholar and an athlete. Right, um, it was kind of expected in our family, and so I was blessed with the opportunity to explore both athletic and academic. Sure, uh, but I saw the trajectory of people that came before me, and all of my older teammates that went to smaller junior colleges or smaller mm-hmm. schools, they all transferred and didn't finish. Wow, um, just trying to chase their dreams and right getting lost somewhere. So I made a personal decision that I would go somewhere where I knew that I was going to have a good time for four years. Right. Oh, okay. And so um, I was able to go to Morehouse on the Morehouse College Scholarship, which was an academic scholarship, which I lost, but it ended up making me more money. It's weird. Um, (laughs) Of course. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) You know, systems are weird. But uh, actually, my college uh, room, my college teammates and some of my best friends, Jalen and Jason, introduced me to Morehouse. So we all went down to Morehouse together and visited. And we were like, yeah, this is where we're going to go. This is where we're going to go. And then when it came time to decide to go to college, I'm like, yeah, we're going to Morehouse. And they're like, no, we're going to Tennessee State. And so I was the only one that went to Morehouse. Um, Interesting. But when I visited Morehouse, I knew that was where I was supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, I got accepted into Lipscomb, and I got denied from Vanderbilt, which I later became a graduate from. And then I got denied to Duke. And so a lot of my story is learning that God will often redirect the rejection. And so if I'd have got accepted into Duke, that was where I would have went. Oh, Um, absolutely. And when I went to Morehouse and I got a chance to see culture, they put on a big show down there. Um, And when I saw the show, I said, this is where I'm supposed to be. So for the people, so for the people who are listening, who, who have only heard about these kinds of school in like, whether it's in film Mm -hmm. or whether it's in, you you, you hear, uh, Things are talked about it in the kind of political, you know, kind of uh, sector. You hear people mention historically black colleges and that's, and people always kind of mention it. Tennessee State, for those of you who mm-hmm. live in, you know, who live here in Nashville. So we, we always hear that. But but I guess for someone who is like I have like that's that's where I developed. That's where I grew. That's where I connected. It's where I kind of got inspired. Kind of give people, I guess, a snapshot of what was it like for you to like go from Gallatin, Tennessee to it, not only like leaving home, which I think is so critical to like yeah. uh, your whole experience in life is, and not that for those of you who never have left home and going somewhere else for school, but that there's something about eventually leaving home. Mm-hmm going to a different city and or state to experience something new yeah 
What is it like for those that like who have maybe gone to university and says, oh, I know, it's, I'm sure it's just like my university. It's like, ah, I don't, I don't, it probably isn't because it's a, <laughs> it just got a little bit, it looks like a university with the twist, with more flavor. Yeah. I mean, it's probably just like with black people in cooking any, in anything. Like, yeah. when we cook, it got seasoning. Well, some of y'all cook, you don't got no seasoning on it. You know, salt to be specific. <laughs> you don't have no salt. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just just kind of give people a little snapshot of what it what it's like to be at you know one of these one of these schools that like that is connected to something larger than just like yeah. the normal kind of like educational university history. Yeah, it was uh it it was amazing. I remember the first time I went and and being referred to as brother by people I didn't know. What's going yeah. on, brother? What's going on, brother? Yeah, and I'm like, yo, something's to this. Yeah. Um, and uh, they were they were able, of course, most people know Morehouse because of Dr. King and the Spike Lees and the Samuel Jacksons. Um, and that was cool. But, man, I tell you, the biggest lesson, and it sounds like a it sounds like an oxy. It sounds like it's backwards. But sure. Uh, the biggest one of the biggest lessons I learned about from that I learned from Morehouse was what true diversity looked like. Now, Ooh. let me tell you why that is backwards. OK. Morehouse is 99 percent black man. <laughs> But I learned about diversity here. For this reason, I learned that blackness and black men are not a monolith. There you go. And so when I, I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm hanging out with people who are like, yeah, I was the chess champion for the state of Oregon. You're like, what? And I'm like. First off, Oregon. <laughs> Second off, chess. <laughs> Um, you know, Anthony Body, and he was he was, you know, like a, a state caliber golfer and chess guy. Yeah, um, that's so and oh, I know people great. who are in the tech world and I know people who are literal doctors and black men who are lawyers. Yeah. Um and black men who, you know, black men who love R and B music more than hip hop music and black men who love country music. And I really got to see that, hey, black men don't have to be a monolith. Yes. And it gives you a chance to embrace your identity and your culture without that culture being defined by people on the outside. Yep. And so we take pride in fried chicken Wednesday. Yeah. Um, not because black people eat fried chicken, but because we just enjoy fried chicken. And so we bring a DJ and we make a party out of it, right? Um, <laughs> right. Black people have historically done, like, put us in whatever situation possible and we're going to have a good time. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> where DJ at? Who DJ? Yeah. That's almost number one. Who DJ in? No, not him. Uh-uh. No, we had a, we, they rented out Target for the college students, the incoming freshmen, for us to go. They took it, gave us shuttles. We rented out Target, and there was a DJ in Target. Of course there was. Like, we had a party everywhere. Um, and it was, I mean, it was, it was really oh. amazing uh, because I was able to define blackness and, and embrace blackness. Right. Um, free and apart from society um, and even whiteness trying to define it. Yeah. Uh, but we were able to define it for ourselves as uh, this is a this is who we are. It's synonymous with excellence, uh, not poverty of different things. Yeah. It's synonymous with upper echelon, and not like we're able to define that for ourselves. Um, they taught me very much hustle. Uh, it taught me how to grind. I mean, one of my best friends, Chris Sumlin, I tell him all the time. He's one of the people that taught me how to hustle. He is a pub three time published author now, um, wow. and he wrote his first book in the library. 
no laptop. And I'm laptop. I'm sitting here with a laptop with no productivity. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing life wrong. Um, and so I really got to see people. Wow. I mean, and even as it comes to like criminalization, I, you know, one of my good friends there, he was trying to study abroad and had to start selling weed in order to pay for his study abroad <laughs> trip. Um, and that's where coming from Gallatin, I'm like, people who study, who sell weed are terrible people yeah. and they're criminals and thugs and deserve yeah. to be thrown in jail. And meanwhile, I'm like, no, he's a good guy. He's struggling to pay for an experience that some people pay for out of their checking account. Um, And he doesn't know how to do that outside of these means. And so it was really, it was very paramount, paramount for who I am. And I don't think it was unintentional that I, that I went there. Wow. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So, okay. So now, now you're, you're at UT and then you're making, now you got to make another decision, which is what comes after this UT experience. Cause I mean, what I, what I kind of imagine happening and this could be totally wrong, but what I imagine happening is that you've kind of reached a ceiling of like this whole experience of what was happening at UT. And it's like, it's time for something else. It's time mm-hmm. for me to move on. And what you decided to do next was to come back to this middle Tennessee area and go to Vanderbilt divinity school yeah now that like was was that just something like okay i know i want to do divinity school or did or did something was there a moment that happened where it's like okay now this is the next this is the next step yeah i started working with uh with my former church minneapolis central and as i became the assistant minister there um it was, I mean, it was, it was a very formative experience for me as well, because I realized that uh, two, two key realizations came prior to seminary. Number one, it was not that I did not like church people. I did not like church systems. Mm. Um, and number two is I have the, I had the same feeling that most people do when they left the church. Yeah. The only difference for me is rather than running from it, I felt called to change it. Mm. And that was where church planning came from. So when you when you say when you say even like you you were you realized you were mad at the system and not necessarily mm-hmm. the people, was the you know a what what did you at the when you first had that realization? Can you remember? Here's why I think the system is broken and, yeah. and messed up. And then after you've journeyed through MDiv school, did you still think that that was the major system issue, or did that did that change? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. You know, I, so one of the things that I became very passionate about, so uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Howard John Wesley was my baccalaureate speaker. Uh, and so when I was in Knoxville, I was so bored, I had nothing else to do but study. So I'm right. learning about financial literacy. I'm uh, learning about theology uh, through YouTube, by the way. Um, <laughs> and so I am pro-education, but education can come in many forms. That's right. And, and so as I was studying him, he's a big advocate for women in ministry. Yeah. And so as I'm in Minnesota, which is a context of a very uh, diverse state, very progressive state, and in, 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 as some people would consider being progressive, uh, I'm talking about like trans state people and I'm, they're, they're, they're fairly uh, progressive state. Absolutely. I knew that if there was a place for me to begin experimenting with a group of people collectively as to what does it look like to have inclusion of women in ministry, Minnesota would have been, I, I mean, I couldn't have picked that place myself. Sure. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and yeah. so I began studying with the church. Uh, about ways that we've used uh, Paul's scriptures to marginalize and to silence women. And we began to, uh, what I did was, uh, Dr. Howard John Wesley has a quote that says, I'm not here to tell you how to think. I'm here, my job is to get you to start thinking. 
Yeah. I live one. That's that's one of that's the models great. I live. That's right. Any good teacher knows that you don't tell people how to think. Your job is to get them to start thinking. That's right. And I believe that church operates best when every opposite end of the spectrum is present and is able to engage in dialogue. Like unity is not the absence of disagreements. Unity is the uh, belief that we're going to continue even in disagreements and that's try right. to figure out how to find that ultimate truth. That's right. That's politically. That's as it, as it relates to everything. And so. Um, it was there where I was like, look, I know where everybody stands, right? And so what I want to do is, this isn't my belief, this is what I had to tell in the bracket, <laughs> but I'm going to teach you the exact opposite, uh-huh. right? I'm going to teach you that women are allowed to pastor. Yeah. Um, and, and not that I want you to believe that, but I'm going to teach you the exact opposite, and I want you to let me know where you land on the spectrum. Yeah. And so uh, my dad was gracious, gracious enough. I don't know whether he would do it again if he gave me the opportunity, <laughs> but he was gracious enough to give me one of his smaller classes to teach. And as we began learning this, uh, we began to integrate women into ministry um, in several different forms and singing and teaching and things of that nature. And they still carry a lot of that. But I realized that the people were ready to progress. The leadership was not ready to progress. Um, Mm -hmm. And then part of the reason the leadership wasn't ready to progress was because they were also concerned with what is going to happen to the church budget. Uh, if we make these changes and everybody don't like these changes. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's one of my, I didn't, uh, I'm, I'm very much a, I, I'm embracing being a creative uh, and being somebody who has a type of entrepreneurial spirit. I started selling apples at school, if that counts, right? Uh, <laughs> my mom put them in my lunchbox and I flip it for a profit. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to embrace being a creative and have an entrepreneurial spirit, but nothing within me would have ever seen church planning. But that's why church right. planning um, ended up being what I felt like I was called to in Nashville, because it gave me the autonomy um, to build proper power structures um, yeah. and to build the community in the church that I wish to see. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think that, you know, church plants and multi-sites are very important, which, you know, is the work that you're doing as well, because it yeah. allows us to experience a new facet of God or a different experience with God um, in a way that older churches and other churches may not necessarily give. Yeah. And so that was, that was, I ended up going to Vanderbilt Divinity School because um, I made a mistake going to Knoxville. Uh, <laughs> and when I went to Knoxville, I, I, so I was, the, I was deciding between Knoxville, Georgetown and U- UT Austin. Uh, University of Texas, Austin. And, and you chose Knoxville? No yes. offense to, no in offense to Knoxville. In Miami. Well, Miami. <laughs> so I didn't, uh, I didn't apply to, U- uh, to University of Texas because there were no black faculty members. Okay. Uh, I was yeah. like, okay, well, yeah. I, don't, I don't know whether you, I, you all can really take diversity seriously if y'all don't have any <laughs> black faculty members. Um, we I, love diversity, and everybody <laughs> here is a white old guy. There's no black leadership. <laughs> um, I mean, b- barely any women, but definitely right, no black right, folks right, on the right, staff. Right. So, um, uh, Miami, my teacher, I, this must have been God because I my spirit would not have been able to go to Atlanta, Miami. Um, yeah. but uh, yeah. one of my teachers just I wrote the letter for her, all she had to do was put it on letterhead. She never submitted the letter to Miami. Wow. Um, and then I got accepted into Georgetown with no money. I got accepted into UT with a full, with full tuition assistantship. Yep. And so that was, that was an easy decision for me. So when I went to Vanderbilt, I realized it's not enough just to have a black person on the faculty, but I really want to go to a place where black people are in leadership. And Vanderbilt, I knew what pushed me theologically. Yeah. And so with Dean Emily Towns being a black queer minister, yeah. like reverend, yeah. um, I'm like, like okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if I feel called to 
um, if I could feel called to liberation in any mm-hmm. sense, but particularly as it relates to helping liberate gender and helping li- liberate people in terms of sexuality and all of these things, I have to go where I'm going to be able to get that knowledge. Yeah. And Vanderbilt was that place for me. And that was the only reason I would wow. have ever considered moving back to Nashville. Wow. And that here you are. And that's home. And, and, now, and now you say, you know what, I got to finish this like uh, uh, pathway that, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. went and said, yeah. I got to go up to, I got to get that Boston. I got to finish. I got to finish what I started here. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you have to go up to Boston or do you get to just do everything? It's a, it's a, a hybrid program. Okay. So once COVID clears some, yeah. um, we'll be able to visit for one week for one week intensive. Okay. Um, and so currently we're doing the one week intensive on Zoom, which is the biggest headache. Yes. But hopefully I'll be able to visit Boston once or twice before the program's over. But currently everything is, the other classes are um, all virtual. Yeah, that's awesome. So, okay, so, okay, well, you know, and, and even as you think about even, you know, just talking about education, and when you're thinking about the the end of this this time, you know, with Bo- you know up at Boston, and you're going to get this degree and, and have these credentials, and then you're going to, you know, get this doctoral degree completed, you know, what do you kind of see as the future? Like, is it you're going to start writing books? Are you going to be teaching? Are you going to be doing all of it and still planning more kind of churches? Like, is that kind of what you see the future looking like in, in that regard? Or or is it still just kind of unknown? You're just like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, next. you know, I, I, I'm actually thinking through a sermon series on Easter. Uh, yeah. And the title of it is probably going to be, I don't know. <laughs> I've learned yes. <laughs> if there's two areas I've learned that God really, really, truly exists and shows Himself, God's self, it's one through rejection. Yeah. Uh, rejection to our plan, rejection to flesh, but the other places where we're humble enough to say, I have no clue what's going on. Yeah. Um, and that's the common theme between all of my experiences that I consider to be providence. Uh, all of my plans failed. I plan yeah. on going to Duke. That didn't happen. Right. Uh, plan on going to Georgetown. They didn't give me no money. Yeah. Um, plan on going to Princeton originally. Did not get spring admission, nor did I finish UT in three semesters because I was trying to get out of there. Neither right. one of them happened. Nope. Um, and then I tried to go to Duke again rather than Boston. Did not get accepted. Wow. Um, and so God has navigated my path through very vicious nose. Um, mm. And so... In terms of what's next, I mean, I'm really interested in holistic care and like spirituality and ministry. Yeah. And so one of my, my projects is probably going to be looking at creating an online literacy, uh, an online financial literacy platform yeah. uh, targeting black children. Yeah. Um, because I realized that was one thing that I just, if I was not working in fundraising, I never would have gotten. A lot of my family still doesn't get, or if they do have it, they don't have this point to do it. Yeah. So I want to be able to teach real tangible financial literacy and facts about money. Uh, to children, particularly children who are going to have less because you really need to know what you're doing with it. And so that's one of my immediate goals. And I have a few more larger ones, but I I hold those with a grain of salt. Hold those, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. Now, so I guess as I think about, you know, your journey, and especially as it relates to like, you know, planting, you know, this church and and like you said early on, like, yeah, this church is like kind of home based in Nashville and Middle Tennessee, but there's other states mm-hmm. and people who live in other states who are connecting to it. And and in part, like the year that we just had with the pandemic, that really worked well because like online experiencing, you know, worship and, and community and, and this kind of thing online was like that's what we were all doing. And if anything, so many people start exploring 
church and faith communities online that they wouldn't have done otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so, but at the same time, I'm, I'm always thinking as you talk about, you know, like how do we empower or start to kind of like shift the power dynamic and include, you know, women in ministry and include like, and just start being more inclusive, inclusive in, in how we build these faith communities. Well, what I know of what I personally know of a predominantly black churches is that 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 is not really the mode of operating. <laughs> and so I, and, and there's one thing for for like, you know, a random church, you know, in the city that does that. But like you're you're kind of existing in a lane and in a space that is unique than probably a lot of folks who find themselves planning churches. What has that been like kind of being this like I'm sure in some circles you roll in, you're like, oh. You just you are you are radical. You are I'm wild. You are you are you are out there, brother. What are you up to? Like how so? Like how has that been for you? Because you're you were you know you've got this rich history within within church and in the church world, but now you're you're like starting to kind of push push things as they say. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think. Um, I, I would say it's it's been it's been interesting to say the least. But one thing that was very constant prior to the pandemic was the fact that nothing was really constant as sure. a church planner. Yeah. So um, you know we didn't have anybody who gave us a significant amount of money to get started. We had about eight people um, that would give when they wanted to, and we were going to just try to. I look. I knew enough about fundraising to be like, okay, I need a few people on recurring gifts yep. so that we can at least have the rent paid, and everybody else, I'll try to teach them up to right, where right, they start right, giving. Right, um, right, and right. so, uh, but you know, there was one. Uh, we had one Sunday where we did worship at the table, and so we went and patronized the black-owned restaurant. Uh, and that was where we had worship. They shut half the restaurant off. It was the Helens over on West End. And so we did worship at the table, but it was also a way to teach, you know, one of the ways to combat um, racism and even poverty is all held up by capitalism. And so we need to learn how to patronize minority-owned businesses right. um, regularly in our routine. And so this is what we're modeling as a church. Okay, well, we want to teach people how to patronize black-owned business and show them that there's black-owned business that are worth your business. Yeah. What people don't know is the reason we did that was because the people we were renting from told us that we didn't have that Sunday available and told us two weeks prior to. <laughs> That's right. right. So, That's right. So <laughs> people have seen a lot of the really creative stuff that we've done, but they don't know that it was birthed out of a place of what in the world is going on. Right. We're borderline desperate. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and God just has a way to continue to feed people with the little boy's lunchbox. This is just kind yeah. of our, our church story. And so when the pandemic came, um, we were used to not knowing what we were going to do. Um, right. And we were used to embracing the possibilities of what could be rather than reminiscing on what it was because what it was was inconsistent as well. Right. And right. so we've, we've been able to really embrace, uh, and we're looking to st begin to open physically again soon, uh, but we do know the lesson in this season for us is to really embrace where we are uh, mm -hmm. virtually. And so it was, I was always very community oriented. I mean, we, we, um, we have a partnership with Bell Shire Elementary Design Center and our first worship experience right. had no preacher and no singer. It was us serving uh, them and that was our form of worship. Wow. Um, yeah. Was by providing them with backpacks and haircuts and hairstylists and bouncy house. Like we were very community oriented. Right. But I've had a re we've had a revelation um, 
and 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 you're going to be able to tell I'm a postmodern thinker and I'm a millennial when I say this. <laughs> we we've had a revelation that community is not solely based off of geography, it's based off of connection. Mm. And so uh, I was an avid video gamer. Yeah. Avid Xbox, uh, PlayStation then Xbox. I see everybody switch back to PlayStation now, but uh, once I once did I you, pledged, did you get one? Did you get you got one? No, no. Mm. I left so once I pledged, I'm a member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Chi chapter, uh, charter 1926, established 1914. When I pledged, when I um, became a member of my frat, I went so long without playing video games, I literally hardly ever picked up a controller afterwards. <laughs> But I say that to say I was ranked in the top 100. I kid okay. you not. I was ranked okay. in the top 100 okay. in Madden, in 2K, and in college football every year of my high school year in wow. each of those games. I was an avid. I would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning if that was when the servers were best. Wow. And I would start gaming before anybody in my house was up and anybody else was up to, to jam the servers. And so one thing that it taught me was I had friends all over the place that yeah. to this day I've never met but I still feel connection to. Yeah. And um, between that, between the pandemic, uh, Vanderbilt, which one thing about higher, like the higher, uh, higher education institutions is they have a lot of teachers that refuse to do virtual, which is why they go there because they know nobody's <laughs> going to make them do virtual. Well, now the pandemic is here and teachers that never envisioned getting on Zoom now have to get on Zoom. So I'm like, OK, God, I'm in a space where people that didn't think they were going to do virtual and now doing virtual. Yep. Uh, I'm going to school virtual. I'm doing all these things virtually. There's something to this virtual connection that we have to foster and further mm -hmm. explore. And at the end of the day, we're all in a Mark Zuckerberg era where that was why Facebook was was created in, yeah, in right. In Massachusetts, he said, I want people to be connected. Yeah. Um, and now what he's done with it and how ethical it is, that's another conversation. Yeah, it's a whole another show. It's a whole another show. <laughs> <laughs> but I say that to say that co connection, community is who you are connected to. Yeah. And it's not always who you're next to uh, geographically. But there's so there's so much resistance in that, right? Yeah. I mean, every in every discipline that's out there, there's so much resistance to leaning into this or embracing or kind of putting our hands around this idea of like, digital communities like these are real like these yeah. are not just like temporary these have always been a thing like mm -hmm. reddit has been a thing for a while yeah. discord is becoming even more and more popular now you got things like uh um what's the new uh the new uh talk uh app that everyone's oh, uh, using clubhouse clubhouse, clubhouse yeah. is <laughs> is becoming this big thing like you you have these online communities and like and gaming like you said is one of them like mm -hmm. i know so many guys and girls who like hop on a game and that's how they connect to their friends yeah so why wouldn't that be be true for all the other kind of areas in our the in our lives yeah so yeah but so you were saying like that's kind of like what you know led you know that set you all up perfectly for this kind of pandemic because you're like well we've got to be we've always been creative so we've got to shift to this and yeah. and we can be a little bit more flexible in that way we, we call ourselves we take pride in this we we consider ourselves a hub of creativity yeah um if you have a lane in which you want to be creative we're going to find a way to help you use it um no 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 holes barred that we're we're going to let you be as creative as possible and i've had to embrace my personal creativity mm -hmm. in order to help other people locate the creativity within them right. and so thankfully we're at the point now one thing about being a church planner everybody who kind of started with me knows how to do almost everything right but i'm at the point now where things are way more creative than anything i could have created because i've been able to empower people around right. me to tap into that that creativity um and some of them live here some of them don't but they're all they're all engaged in tapping into our community yeah so I mean and I guess like as we even think a little bit more and about even 
this last year and even moving into this year, you know, with, it was so interesting what 2020 brought us, like they brought us this pandemic. It brought us this heightened awareness of, you know, um, you know, even the, the, the whole movement of black lives matter even mm-hmm. was even on more kind of like, you know, just, you know, you um, couldn't avoid it. You couldn't avoid it, you yeah. know? And, and, the kinds of conversations wrapped up in that, like there was just so much. I mean, when you really had to think about like 2020, like a lot happened, not just the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as someone who does, you know, the work of pastoring, the work that you do, like how, how did you, as you kind of reflect on that, like what is your, you know, kind of thoughts and reflections of all of what has, what transpired in yeah. 2020? And now, even in this first few months of 2021, yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> it's 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 interesting. We're so we're a predominantly black congregation, uh, but we are growing in diversity, which has been really cool. Yeah. Uh, but one thing that I know to generally be sure about um, the black community is most of us know struggle. A good number of us know struggle and no difficulties very intimately. Mm -hmm. No pain, no struggle, no trauma, no being broke. We know that fairly fairly intimately. Um, And so a lot of things were being uh, compounded. I do some work um, with some of the local activists here, um, and it's, it's it's really needed work and it's been work that we were doing prior to George Floyd and, and all of that madness that happened around protesting and policing. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, it's been a, a huge year to process and there's a lot of people who are dealing with a mm-hmm. lot of mental processing that has to take place. Um, and so, and I think that's, that's where it's prime time for the church to uh, right. prove itself to be relevant. Yeah. Um, we, you know, when we sense people were lonely, we would meet on Thursdays and just bring a meal together and just fellowship around yeah. discussion questions from the sermon. Uh, we brought in mental health professionals once a quarter. Um, you know, these are the times where church can really prove itself to be relevant in the needs. One thing Ober Hendricks talks about in the politics of Jesus is Jesus treated the people's needs as holy. Right. Um, not as weaknesses, not as I'll get to when I get, no, he treated it as holy. Um, and I think that's something that we have to get to is understanding that there's a lot of people with a lot of needs after, um, 2020. And, and honestly, I mean, even before the election, I mean, the country was as divided as it was right before the civil war, right? So there's, there's a lot of civil unrest just in general and a lot of repairing that has to take place. And I think for me, that's where the church community comes into play, not to ignore politics, but to bring everybody together and figure out how can we have a Christ centered political stance, not Democrat or Republican, but how can we, how can we explore kingdom ethics in a way that would honor Jesus rather than honoring our political affiliations? These are the times where it's good for the church to have these discussions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. I think that it's, uh, it's definitely a trying time. And even when you talk about mental health and I feel like the, the, when I think about faith communities and church communities, especially, I definitely feel like we're, we're, there's a collective turning of the corner yeah. of that 
And and that's even true within the black community, you know, because like uh, if there's ever was a community that resisted, you know, kind of in the history of re- of resisting things like it was this idea of being, you know, investing time and energy into mental health and 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 going to see a therapist and and really kind of like embracing this thing and i feel like while there's still lots of work to be done in that in that space it definitely feels like things have started to turn a corner i don't know if you've seen that too i feel the same but yeah it's it's been really interesting to see how um folks are starting to say yeah i think i think you're right i think i do need to go and see someone Mm -hmm. and and normalizing not being okay that's right normalizing not being okay. I mean, I love the work that Brene Brown talks about Yeah. Uh, as a recovering perfectionist. And I say recovering not because I'm making progress, <laughs> but it just helps me to admit it. As a recovering perfectionist, it's okay to for some stuff not to be completed yeah. in the manner you thought it was going to. It's okay if you're not okay that day. And it's okay yeah. to tell people I'm not doing that well. Yeah. Um, and, and these are things that there are licensed professional counselors that can help you, you tease these out. And I, I do believe that it was really bad. I think our theology has something to do with it that <laughs> may need to be parsed out some more. Uh, but I do believe that there is a move towards um, towards at least acknowledging mental health. And if even if not the actions to follow it, there are at least conversations saying, hey, these these need this needs to be discussed and it needs to be normalized. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. So now, I mean, now you're 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 here in Nashville, and you're doing you're doing this work, and and you're kind of building this thing in in Nashville now. Kind of as you look at what's happening all in Nashville, the growth that you see happening. Kind of what do you what's your what's your hopes? What do you think's the 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 wisdoms that Nashville needs to embrace as they start to kind of as we continue to grow mm-hmm. as a city and and you know and we and we're seeing you know this kind of mixed thing of like we need to support kind of black and brown businesses but then at the same time we're still in very much gentrifying kind of like mode of operating yeah. you know we saw you know even in uh, the North Nashville area mm-hmm. post the tornado like you've you you saw you've already yeah. you're seeing kind of like the neighborhood change yeah. and it's not including the the men and women and families that were a part of this community in that area for you know years and years and years so i don't know if you've got any comments towards uh any uh, any of all what's yeah. happening in I mean, shout city. out to Slim and Huskies, right? Yeah. The first black-owned restaurant. Yeah, on how Broadway. about that? Like, uh. yeah. So, if you don't know everybody, like Slim and Huskies is, which, again, like, if you really like, is exciting, right? The first black-owned business in downtown on Broadway in Nashville. Yeah, yeah. that's exciting. What's also crazy is it's 2021. It's the first one. The first one. <laughs> this is the first one. <laughs> Y'all wild. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think um, I I would like to see Nashville embrace. You know, we talk a lot about being the it city and and growing and the growth is is definitely there. And and in certain ways, it's been unprecedented. But I like to see Nashville embrace being a large city. Ooh, yeah, that's Um, right. You know, I do love the small town feel, uh, but I think there are certain parts of large cities that have to be embraced if for nothing else, for the structure of the city and the growth that's to come, right? When we're talking about public transit systems, um, like could you imagine going to a LA or a Chicago or New York and not having 
and, and only having one means of public transportation. Um, and not even a good of means of public transit. transportation. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you can get on the bus. It's going to take you all over creation before you get to your stop. But Yeah. Oh and we, I mean, we see the airport growing, right? Yeah, like that's, that's right. That's, that's right. good. But I'd like to see, you know, there's certain things that large cities do that makes it a coincidence as to why they can continue to grow and not break. Yeah. And I think that that's something that I would like to see Nashville do is continue to, is, is begin to embrace the fact that we are becoming a large city and there's certain things that large cities do mm-hmm. because that's what large cities do. That's right. That's right. And I mean, and not only do we have some Huskies now that's downtown Nashville, but then the African-American uh, uh, Music Museum. I the think museum, yeah. It's the, I think it's, is it the, Na- what's the official title? I'm like messing up the official title. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I may not Apologies, know everybody. <laughs> But yeah, it's also downtown. I guess like when we can look it up. But so like there is a there's a lot of new things that are happening downtown that is uh that's that's very exciting that is more than just a kind of traditional kind of mode of operating of Broadway, which is yeah. like honky tonks, which are fine, which is just no there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's is is equally good to see more of what has what makes up what makes Nashville yeah. Nashville to see it represented even in those areas, yeah, right, which is very good. And Slimming Huskies is amazing. Shout out to hey, Slimming <laughs> Huskies, come on the show. Let's get these guys on the show. That would be I'm gonna try to work on that. That'd be great, you know. And yeah. we're seeing you know, these new black owned banks that are that are kind of you yeah. know starting to find some some new energy and breath, which is amazing. So there's a lot of exciting stuff happening happening in Nashville. In Nashville. Hey, have you? I was gonna. Um, this is so random, but I was. I'm curious. Have you gotten to watch um, G, uh, um, Judas and the Judas Black and the Black Messiah? I have not seen it yet. Oh man, have you seen it? Yes, I've seen it twice. <laughs> I've seen it twice. Everybody, you need to go see that movie. If you haven't seen it? Go see that movie. It is. It is fantastic. It's on Netflix, right? So uh, it's on uh, H. I think it's on HBO, HBO Max. Okay. Something okay. like that. Maybe I may even think that's right. But yeah, so you need to go see that. You know, Fred Hampton. It's just a. Re- it's just a wonderful um, yeah. story. Did I say that right? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, but you need to go see the movie. It's very, 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 very good. Yeah, I've, I've heard good reviews. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but I definitely, uh, I definitely plan on checking it out. Yeah, that's good. Okay, let's let's do some speed rounds. Let's do that. Let's do let's get on that. Or I guess it's not really it's like a speed round, but uh kind of a speed round. Yes, I was right. Chairman Fred Hampton. I, I know my stuff, people, you know. <laughs> Which, you know, the whole story, if you don't know anything about Fred Hampton, you need to just just read his story alone, like and understand, you know, kind of how how his place in history is so important. So yeah. um but that's good. Okay, let's do this let's do this little um final question round and then we'll have you back again because this is this has been fun yeah i've enjoyed it okay so first one what's something people um seem to misunderstand about you i'm an introvert oh well you know they say that the best public speakers typically are introverted yeah folks yeah so sometimes if you see me off to myself and i'm acting like i don't want to be bothered i'm not being rude i'd need time to myself (laughs) And I love people, uh, but I prefer people that I know. Yeah. <laughs> and when I'm meeting people I don't know, I need time to debrief at some point. Yeah. So what's okay? So that's really interesting. You say that you're, you know, you're introvert. Is you know, you have a large social media like presence, right? Yeah. So what is that like as an introvert, knowing that like 
all these folks are like following me. So if I post anything about anything, like all these eyes look at it. <laughs> Does that mean the crafting process is is very meticulous or like what is that? Yeah. Yeah. I what's interesting is I, I've always said this. I have a good amount of followers on certain social media platforms, mm-hmm. but the weird thing is I feel connected to a good number of them. That's good. And that's what makes it easier. Okay. Um, that's good. That's good. If it ever felt like it started to be strangers, I'd be right. a little worried. But I mean, even like on Instagram, I remember my roommate was like, We need to create an Instagram. And uh, people need people gonna follow us and da 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 da. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't take pictures. Um, like I don't really like people like that much. To, <laughs> and I don't take pictures. Um, and so I just kind of grew out of it. And, and eventually, it was kind of a part of the culture. So yeah, yeah, it is interesting how like you know it's one thing where you know I would you know in part there's part of me that would just love to like be rid of all social media, but it's like there's only a few kind of like jobs out there where there are definitely careers where like you having no social media is totally fine and acceptable. Yeah. But it's like if you're in real estate or if you're working in kind of ministry, church work or yeah. nonprofit work or, you know, any kind of small business, like social media is like, you, yeah. it's just like a must. Yeah. There's no real fast from it. There's no, you can't. Like you, <laughs> you can maybe find ways where you're not always on it and consuming yeah. it, but you've kind of have to have a, at least a somewhat active presence yeah. on, on these platforms. To and it's my keep, news intake. Yeah, Exactly. Right. It's become I mean, the news, I don't watch intake. news at, at, at six or nine or whatever time it comes on anymore. I don't even know what time, but like social media yeah. is, is my is my news as well. That's so. right. That's right. Hmm. Okay. Uh, what are some of your favorite quotes? Favorite quotes? Quotes. Yeah. A few of your favorite quotes. Uh, my dad raised us to believe to whom much is given, much is required. Yeah. Um, I love that one. Uh, favorite quotes. I love. I would probably say that. Um, I love a lot of Brene Brown's work, and I, I repeat it to myself about vulnerability. Um, she has a quote that says, it's hard to hate people up close. That's right. Um, you know, from a distance, Jesus looks like this criminal that deserves to be killed. But if you were close to him, you would know that there's something more there. Yeah. Um, so I love that quote as well. It's, it's hard to hate people up close. If you hate them, you may not be close enough to know who they really are. Yeah. And, and, which, and, that's, and that's an interesting thing, a journey in vulnerability, which, you know, I would say it's no surprise to you and to you and I, but black men, that is, if you say, give me a word bank of what black men are like, vulnerability is not on the top <laughs> of that word bank. There's a lot of great words, but vulnerability is not, it is not on the top of the list. Yeah. You know, um, and it's not saying that there aren't individual, like certain black men that have always been very vulnerable in that way, but like collectively that has not yeah, been. It's taboo. That, yeah. No, I keep it close. And so you're right. Like that's. Her work, it really does open, especially if you get people, you know, black men and, and, and black women and any, and any people for that matter to reading her work. It's like, oh, that you're right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. That's good. Any others on that one? Yeah, those, those are probably the main, those are the main ones okay. that first come to mind. Okay. Albums everyone should listen to. I am a 19, uh, no, not 1990s. I'm more of like a 2000s R&B connoisseur. Oh, boy. Right, so right there near that uh, music soul child, Anthony Hamilton. I mean, my mm-hmm. mom grew up bumping the Mariah Carey top twenty-five hits. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all of those. I mean, when I use, I mean, there was like a really good uh, Lyft promotion that was going on. If you'd be a Lyft driver for a month, you get like double or something yeah. at one point. And I mean, I literally listened to music soul child's love album the the entire time. Like that was. <laughs> That was how I kept myself sane with strangers in the car. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did the lift. I, I, here's the deal. I, I think there's certain things that everyone should, should try yeah. in life. 
being a Lyft driver or Uber driver is one of them. <laughs> just to just to experience the the people dynamics of it all. Yeah. Like I would have people who would sit directly behind me. I'm like, you about to take me out. Like, why are you sitting behind me like that? Sit yeah. on the other side. Sit on the other sit yeah. on the, across <laughs> or sit somewhere else. Why are you right behind me? You know. <laughs> then you got some people who are super talkative, some people who want nothing yeah. to do. Yeah. With like you're just you just need to get them. Some people there. want the aux cord, yeah. right? Like on the Bluetooth. I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> you want the wait a minute. <laughs> and I, I remember taking. I remember you know when back when the when the weekend uh, was mm-hmm. open. You know, you know, big big up to those to those folks who are trying to repair and rebuild and figure out the next steps. But I I picked up a bunch of girls from there, and they lived like in like almost in Murfreesboro, like near about in Murfreesboro. And I was like. Mm. This drive, y'all are way what? <laughs> but I mean, like you know that people. It's just it was so interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay, what's something that will always make you laugh? This is gonna sound bad, but whenever people tell me something's not funny, I'm guaranteed to laugh. I was always that child in class. Like if I laughed and you yelled, "It's not funny," you were about to make me roll on the floor. Do you have a moment where it's like, oh, this is a classic moment of where it was probably not right for me to be laughing at the situation, but here we are. I know this is this is this may, this is vulnerability. Yeah, <laughs> man. The, the first one that comes to mind because it, it happens at the worst time. So I was sitting next to my uncle at a funeral, and uh, he's he's a, he's a pastor as well, and so I don't know whether he's a diabetic. I don't know if his blood sugar was off or what was going on. But they were singing a song well known in the Black Churches of Christ, "Hot Behind the Mountain." Uh-huh. And so we're back there. I mean, the churches go. I mean, they're having a good time at the funeral. And there was a big guy in front of us, oh boy. and uh, he ducks down behind the big guy and was like, "I'm hot behind the mountain right now." <laughs> oh and, no! Oh no! <laughs> and we're on stage, <laughs> so. <laughs> So I'm trying my hardest not to laugh. And then the person next to me was like, I don't know what y'all laughing at, but it's not funny. It's not funny. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, you just started it back up. You're right. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. What's one of two books uh, people should read? I'll tell you two two books, um, and this they're probably related to spirituality, but two books that were very formative to me were What is the Bible by Rob Bell? Yeah. Love that book. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually going to give three. Politics of Jesus, uh, Oprah Hendricks, um, the revolutionary Jesus of the Bible. And lastly, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. Yeah. Um, a must read. Um, he go. says that his claim was that it's impossible to be spiritual without being emotionally, um, emotionally healthy. Uh, yeah. Because you'll end up weaponizing spirituality in a way that hurts people. Wow. Um, and so it's hard to be an unhealthy interpreter. It's hard to be an unhealthy Christian, an unhealthy person, and expect health to come out of that. Yeah. And so you got to do that work mentally to make sure that you can be in a proper space spiritually. Oh, so good. So good. If you had to leave Nashville forever, what would be a few spots that you had to hit up before you leave town? Man, two, two that I know would be difficult to come back to are probably the black-owned restaurants. So I eat steak and chicken almost every day. Like, I'm, I'm a creature of habit. I just eat the same stuff. I go to Hibachi for lunch twice a week. Um, <laughs> shout out to Hibachi. It's lunchtime prices, so it's half the price, same amount of food. Um, I, That's amazing. <laughs> and when I'm not at, at Hibachi eating steak and chicken, I'm like at Moe's or something eating steak and chicken as well. So... Moe's um, like the like the Moe's Southwest Chipotle, what? No, but I get uh, a, I get a veggie bowl from Chipotle because it makes me feel better. So if I want to be healthy, that's where I go. 
But I eat the same stuff over and over again. So it would probably be uh, if you've never had. Now, Helen's Hot Chicken has hot chicken in his name, but they have the best fish. I don't really eat anybody else's catfish anymore. Um, I get their mm-hmm. catfish on hot level, like with on the heat on hot. And well, here's the here's the side. You know, you messing with a black owned chicken spot, hot chicken spot. If fish is on the menu, <laughs> that's a hundred percent. If fish ain't on the menu. If you Black folks chicken, ain't a part of that place. If you chicken and not fish, uh, the people are going to be like, okay, what, what are you doing? Who back there? Who yeah. in the kitchen? Who back there? Uh, uh, yeah, uh-huh. I'm coming at you, Hattie Bees. That's who I'm talking about. Yeah, so Helen's. Um, Helen's and then I yeah. love Slim and Huskies. So, of course, I live north. Yeah. So, regularly when I'm going past Rosa Parks, I'm like, let me just go stop by Slim and Huskies. Yeah, it's so good. Okay, that's good. And what do you think are one of the keys to a good life? One of the keys to a good life, um, I would definitely say, is having good people around you to enjoy it. Um, I've seen uh, people get older um, and be lonely. I've seen people being younger and trying to achieve success by themselves. But in order to, I believe, in order to really, um, you know, each person, you know, God places people around us that have a peace that we need. And so it's important to have people around you that can push you, that can hold you accountable, um, and that have the God inside of them that you're missing and that you need at times. So I think having the right people around you is super important to whatever you're trying to be uh, successful at or experience some type of uh, fullness in. Man, that's so good. Russell, thank you. This is great. Yeah, man. Thank you. We'll we'll do it again soon. (laughs) Yeah. All right. See ya. Peace.